January 8th, 2024. We're in Masechet Berachot Andaf Yotet Amud Bet. Six lines from the bottom of the Amud. Three words before the end of the line where the Gemara says Tashema. If you recall, the context of this Gemara is we're dealing with a sugya, which was addressing the question of Kavod HaBeriot. How strong is that mitzvah of being mechabedet haberiot, of having respect and dignity and honor to other people, or even to yourself, in the face of the performance of mitzvot or violation of mitzvot lo ta'aseh. So what the Gemara had done was make a bold statement that we never would uphold kavot haberiot in the face of Torah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. After all, the Pasuk says in Mishle, in Adonai, there's no knowledge, wisdom, or intellect in the place of God. And as a result, the Gemara had been challenging that. Uh, several circumstances, situations where the Halakha seemed to dictate otherwise, each one of those situations being for one reason or another an exception, the most notable exception was, um, happened twice, only Isur de Rabbanan, that when it's a rabbinic violation, a rabbinic uh, restriction, in that circumstance, indeed, the Hachamim say Kavod Haberiot, so to speak, wins out. But the Gemara is not finished. It's got one last attempt in terms of challenging this concept in the following. Tashema, come and listen to the following proof. Vela'ahoto. So the Pasuk here is important to read in its context, and then together with Rashi, Pasuk is in Parashat Naso. It's in the context of Nazir. Nazir, of course, an individual who's not allowed to come in contact with Tumah, in addition with the many other um, laws that pertain to a Nazir. But the Pasuk says that although you're not allowed to come in contact with Tumah, you might have believed that he could contaminate in some circumstances. First, the Pasuk says, um, he can't come in contact with anyone. Then it says, this one, Le'aviv ul'immo, le'achiv ul'achoto, lo yitamma lahem bemotam. To his father and his mother and his brother and his sister, he may not come in contact with them after their death. Now there seems to be a certain redundancy. If the Pasuk initially told us that al-nefesh met lo yavo, he can't come in contact with any dead people, well, then why did the Pasuk need to repeat, you know, kind of going into further detail, but redundantly so, not his father, not his mother, not his brother, not his sister. Of course, you told me he can't come in contact with anyone. Now, that question, which is going to be addressed in this statement from the word Vela'ahoto, really could and is addressed from all the words in the Pasuk. After all, the Pasuk says Le'aviv, his father, also redundant, his mother, Le'imo, uh, all three of those are redundant are unnecessary as well. But the derasha here will only be from Vela'ahoto. Uh, we'll read uh, how the Midrash fills out the others in Rashi in a moment. But first, Tashema Vela'ahoto. Dash, Matalmud Lomar, question mark, what do we learn from that repeated reference of don't come in contact with your sister after she, after she passes away when you're a Nazir? It's coming to teach you not the simple contact with death, with Tum'ah of your sister, but rather an altogether different case. How so? If a person was on his way to slaughter his Korban Pesach, he's already dedicated himself to the mitzvah of Korban Pesach, or Lamulet uh, Beno, to circumcise his son. 
Now, in such a situation, based on what we're presenting, if he were to now become in contact, come in contact with Tum'ah, with regards to Korban Pesach, a Tameh cannot slaughter and eat from the Korban Pesach. With regards to the Milah, the involvement with burial and the dead of person would make it that he won't be able to perform in its time the mitzvah of milah. So again, Maybe in such a circumstance where he found out any person, not a nazir per se, we're taking this from the context of nazir and learning an altogether different law, that's the principle of imeno inyan. If this isn't to teach us anything about Nazir, it'll teach us something else. So, therefore, any person, a Yisrael, who's on his way to perform that mitzvah, maybe if they heard, if they find out, they're notified that a family member passed away, they should turn around from their approach of the mitzvah of milah or korban pesach and go do the burial. That the rasha, as a result, is... Um, you would say, of course, you can't be metame. That's what the drashav velaachoto tells you. In other words, redundantly, the pasuk tells you, don't come in contact with a family member. But it's one of my closest family members who I'm obligated to come in contact with and deal with their burial. You do not. Where are you learning that from? From Is it possible, is the halakha, that the same way to my family members, I don't come in contact with for Tum'ah, in the situation where I'm about to perform a mitzvah of Korban Pesach or Milah, so too met mitzvah, a situation where the person who has died, not my family member, but has no one who would deal with their burial. In other words, it's incumbent entirely upon me. Do I there as well say, well, if I'm on my way to perform the mitzvah of milah or korban pesach, I don't go to deal with the met mitzvah. Talmud lomar ve'la'achoto, la'achoto hu dono metameh, aval metameh hu lemet mitzvah. That's the derasha ve'la'achoto. It went without stating that you don't come in contact with tum'ah and violate those mitzvot aseh. Would you extend that as well to met mitzvah, to a situation where the burial is entirely on your head? Nobody else will tend to the needs of this dead person, not a family member, but a necessary burial situation. That's the derasha we make from Velahoto. Velahoto teaches you you don't come in contact with a family member, even a family member, but you do to a met mitzvah. Oh, well, that being the case, before we continue onward, we'll pause to read Rashi, but let's just pause and realize what happened over here. What happened over here was a mitzvah of kavod hamet. After all, the met mitzvah, kavod haberiot, we're dealing with a human being's sanctity of body, of dignity, of life, and even after death, is pushing aside the performance of a mitzvah. That's the Gemara's question. Am I? Why is it so? At the top of Daf Kaf Amudalif. Lema, we should have instead said, En chokma ve'en tevuna ve'en neged Adonai. Answers the Gemara, and then we'll pause and read Rashi and fill in several of the other gaps. Shane hatam. Shane means it's different. Hatam means over there. Again, we're trying to build a principle from that case of met mitzvah, 
where in order to keep the dignity of that person's body, we push aside the mitzvah, even of milah and korban pesach, which as Rashi points out are mitzvot, which have connected to them the punishment of karet, if you don't perform them, being cut off from God. Nonetheless, we are for met mitzvah, going ahead and pushing them aside. Shane hatam says the Gemara, they're different, because there's a pasuk, which specifically teaches us that in those situations, um, met mitzvah situations, it, so to speak, trumps um, uh, any of the mitzvot, even the mitzvot with karet. We saw this type of question earlier. I got it. So you tell me the specific pasuk by met mitzvah, let's learn mina from it. Why don't we make what's called a binyanav to the entirety of the Torah, that any situation where there's kavod beriot, it will push aside the performance of a mitzvah. In other words, met mitzvah will become my paradigm. It'll be my perfect example. If by met mitzvah, I push aside mitzvot, so to other situations. Answers the Gemara, Shev ve'alta aseh shaneh. This is different because it's Shev ve'alta aseh, meaning the violation of milah, the violation of Korban Pesach is not being done with my hands. It's just through abstaining. I am not performing them. Kavod haberiot over here, b'shev ve'alta aseh, will and could trump a mitzvah, but not if it means the active violation of that mitzvah. Let's remember what we started our sugya with. We started our sugya with a person actively wearing kilayim. He has sha'atnez on his body. That's kum ve'aseh. Would you say that kavod beriot pushes aside that violation? Absolutely not. That's kum ve'aseh. Therefore, if a person is wearing sha'atnez, poshtam afilu bashuk, you take it off even in the marketplace. But what about kavod beriot? And chokma ve'en etza ve'en tevuna leneged Adonai, right? The concept is that the mitzvah, if it's being done and violated, bekum ve'aseh actively will be pushing away kavot haberiot. Okay, so we have a few things that we just need to take into account. That's the end of the sugya. So the end of the sugya has a concept for us, although we minimized its application because we explained that we explained that in Adira Banan, we explained in several circumstances, we're going to say that kavot haberiot will be doheh, but generally speaking, the general principle is the mitzvah, uh, so to speak, trumps. It wins out against kavot haberiot. Let's deal with some of the details in this last issue that we saw. Back on dafyotet amutbet, Rashid buramatri v'la'achoto matamud lomar. Remember the context? The question was, this pasuk v'la'achoto, written by Nazir, is an unnecessary pasuk. It's superfluous. The pasuk already told you you're not allowed to come in contact with dead people, even family members included. Why does the pasuk go on to designate even your sister, Rashi, Benazir Ketim, this is written by, of course, a person who's a Nazir, quote, Kol That's the initial general pasuk. Don't, don't come in contact when you're a Nazir with anyone who dies. Vesamichle, and it then says right after it, close to it, quote, You can't come in contact with any of your family members. Now Rashi says, Deha, after all, kulhu biklala nefesh met lo yavo hayu. All four of those family members were a part of the initial general statement of don't come in contact with death. Why'd they come out? Le'aviv perat le'met mitzvah. 
The first one, Le Aviv, is coming to teach me that Met Mitzvah is different. For Imo, you don't need to teach me Met Mitzvah by a Nazir. We know what Met Mitzvah is, right? And a Nazir then comes in contact. Where do we learn that from? Le Aviv. Not Aviv, but yes, Le Met Mitzvah. Mother, you don't need that. Le Aviv, Nafka, Vidarshele, Besifre. Lilmod Shimhaya Nazir Ze Kohen Dahavu Aleshete Kedushot Afu Le Imohu de Laitama Ava Metamehu Lemet Mitzvah. So the next one, Le Imo comes to teach you, even though he's a Nazir and a Kohen, you follow? Double violation, not allowed to come in contact with death for two reasons. Nonetheless, if it's a Met Mitzvah, it trumps, it wins out, and you go to be metameh. Okay, so that's Aviv, I understood, was Nazir, who's a met, who sees a met mitzvah. Imo is Nazir Kohen met mitzvah. What about Le'achiv? Le'achiv, Matamud Omar Haresh, Kohen Gadol vehu Nazir. You follow? Le'achiv tells you even if he's the highest priest, the Kohen Gadol, Afu, Le'achiv lo yitamav, al-metamehu, le'met mitzvah. In such a circumstance, Pasuk says, Le'achiv, not to your brother, but yes to met mitzvah. Lastly, Vila'achoto, this is the end of the derashot, the one most relevant to us in our Gemara, Matamud Omar, Imeno Inyan Lezeh, if it's not relevant any longer to teach us laws about Nazir, we t- exhausted them all from To any person who's on his way to performance of a mitzvah, even a severe one, or specifically a severe one, met mitzvah will even push that aside. Okay, now to the top of Daf Kafa Mudal, if there's another important Rashi that's relevant for us to learn, Sheval ta'asheshane. If you recall, that's the concluding lines of the Gemara. The Gemara said you can't use this case of a person who abstains from the performance of Korban Pesach and Milah for Kavod Beriot of Met Mitzvah because it's different. It's lighter. It's Sheval ta'ase Rashi. Devarim rabim hitiru la'akor devar Torah mipene seyagum pene kivot haberiot hechad eno oker davar bemaaseyadaim ele yoshev mkomo vedavar Torah u devar Torah ne'ekar me'elav. Rashi expands our horizon and he broadens it a bit and explains the rabbis in several cases believed and, and set into motion that for reasons that they felt just, provided that it's sheva ta'aseh, not an active violation of the mitzvah, they said you can, uh, you can or should be doing something else. So, of course, the case in our example, uh, the example in our Gemara is, is this situation. The hachamim's understanding of a met mitzvah b'makom sheva ta'aseh bitul is a viable situation for saying, go do met mitzvah and don't perform those mitzvot. Rashi expands this, he broadens this to say, you should know the rabbis in several places, several noteworthy that you're familiar with, uh, said that they believe you violate a mitzvah from the Torah, straight up. For example, the most famous one perhaps, Familiar with those, the Gemara at the beginning in Masechet Yivamot and Davtzadi deals with these. It says that in those situations, what are we dealing with? A mitzvah from the Torah, shaking the lulav, first day of Sukkot, but if it falls out on Shabbat, there's a gezerah. The rabbis, Rabbah says, oh, maybe you're going to carry it in a shut Rabbim. Oh, wait a second, but you're violating the mitzvah from the Torah. Shabbat ta'asim. 
Shofar on Shabbat. Similarly, so Sadin Besisit. Sadin Besisit is the situation where from the Torah you can and should wear Sisit. Even though you have Semer, you have um, wool strands, if the garment is made out of linen, uh, so it's okay, you're wearing it with, uh, with, with, with Sha'atnez, it's permitted. The Pasuk puts them together to tell you it's permitted. The rabbi said, however, for reasons that they feared that it wouldn't be performed appropriately, and it's not as relevant. So in such a situation, if you have Sadin, which means the linen, Besisit, you don't put Sitsit onto it. So amazingly, linen garment without Sitsit. It's a Bitu B'Sheva Ta'ase. There as well, Udekavatayu Tuva B'Yavamot, Gemaran Yavamot, and Avtzadi, that area has several examples. If you're going to uproot with your hands, the rabbis and the Torah will not tell you to do so. And a person who's wearing sha'atnez kilayim, you're uprooting with an action. You're wearing the garment. Okay, so that's that's the first part of Rashi. Now Rashi explains um, our specific. Uh-huh. So Rashi now moves on to, so we were dealing with, let's remember until now, the proof in our Gemara, Vela Ahoto, is talking about a person who's on his way to perform Korban Pesach or Milah, and as a result, we were able to say it's Besheval Ta'aseh. It's an inactive violation. What about the three earlier cases that we read in Rashi just a moment ago? What were those three earlier cases? Le'aviv is a Nazir Met Mitzvah. Le'imo, Nazir Kohen, violation for Met Mitzvah. Le'ahiv, Nazir Kohen Gadol. All of those are Bekum Va'aseh. It's a Kohen who's going and contaminating his body. What do you mean? In that situation, it's Bekum Va'aseh. Why did the Gemara only quote from the Lahoto? Shouldn't you be bringing those as sourcing and saying that Bemakom Kavoda Beriot, Ibn Bekum Va'aseh, we violate? Do you understand the question? That's what Rashi is now bothered by. Again, so Vetumat Gufe and contaminating, becoming tameh in your body, it's permitted, it's uprooting with your hands, with an action, that's not inactive, that's active. The reason that we don't learn from there, there that uproots even, Rashi's explanation is, he suggests, it's a novel interpretation. He says that when the Torah tells us, Le'aviv, Le'mo, Le'ahiv, in each of those situations, the Torah is teaching, not because of kavod haberiot, are you to go and contaminate to met mitzvah, as opposed to keeping yourself pure as a kohen or a nazir or kohen gadol. That's not the reason. It's because the kohen, the nazir, the kohen gadol, were never prohibited. There is no mitzvah lo ta'aseh of don't become tameh if it is a met mitzvah.
In other words, the Hidush of Rashi over here is, it's not that Kavod Abiriot, the word I've been using until now, is trumps, wins out and pushes aside that Isur. It's that the Isur doesn't exist in these situations. Now, Tosafot has problems with that both technically and even, uh, even in terms of concept, conceptually. Rashi's suggestion is, I mean, you could uh, suggest that in many of the cases in the Gemara. Whenever we found this derasha, the derasha wasn't telling you for kavod beriot. The derasha was telling you that it's not relevant over there. Tosafot therefore suggests that the reason we don't bet those are cases where we do do because of kavod beriot for met mitzvah push aside the mitzvah lo of tumah for kohen kohen gadol and nazir. They're just not good enough cases to learn from. Because those cases, the last three lines of Tosafot, Tosafot interestingly suggests those are good examples, but they're not good enough to teach other cases. Nazir is too light of a case, and ironically, Kohen is too light of a case. What do I mean by that? Nazir, sheken yeshno b'she'ela. A Nazir can, if he wants to do hatara, what we call she'ela, he can do away with being a Nazir. That's not a real severe um, halakha. Any halakha which exists, but you could wipe it out by just uh, doing she'ela hatara is not as strong. So you're telling me a Nazir could come in contact with a dead person for kavod beriot. That's right, Nazir is less severe. What about a Kohen? Kohen can't get rid of their status of Kohen unless they do something, you know, that's Asur per se. They can't really do that. There's no way of doing away with your Kehuna, says Tosafot, but it's Enosh Bakol. The fact that it only exists by Kohanim as opposed to others might already diminish in terms of its severity. Okay, either way you slice it, that's the Maskana of our Gemara, that Kavod Beriot. Aside from several notable and important examples, exceptions, will not push aside mitzvot from the Torah. Continues the Gemara. Amar le Rav Papa le Abaye. This statement, this question of Rav Papa to Abaye seems to come out of nowhere. Seems to be irrelevant to anything we were talking about. We'll explain it in a moment based on Rashi. But here's this question. Mai shena rishonim di itrahish lehu nisa, mai shena anan why is it that the Rishonim, the earlier generation, he happens to be even referring to just one generation before them, Rav Papa Nisa, miracles would transpire for them. They would do things and the miraculous would happen right in front of their eyes. But us, we, we don't seem to see the miraculous. Now, in the answer of the Gemara, we'll see it in a moment, the suggestion will be that the Rishonim gave up their lives or were willing to give up of themselves for performance of mitzvot. It's for that reason, Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch Hu stretched himself as well. Words, you'll stretch yourself, I'll stretch myself, and that's why miracles will happen to them as opposed to us. It's for that reason, suggests Rashi, that this is showing up in our Gemara. After all, the last subya was saying, you have to give up of yourself. You're out in the marketplace and you're wearing clothing and you realize the Sha'adnez, rip it off! It's, so to speak, a Kiddush Hashem, even, not Misirut Nefesh, but even in a very uncomfortable situation. That's its relevancy here to the response in our Gemara. But again, the question that's being posed, we already told the answer, is why is it that the earlier generations seem to have had the miraculous happening to them, but not to us? Imishum, maybe the reasoning is Mishum Tanuye. Maybe it's because they studied more. 
They knew more. They learned more Torah than us. Tanuye milashon matnitin. Tane, tanya, tanan means to learn. We switch the taf with the shin, like mishnah, vishinantam. Says the Gemara, that can't be the reason because look at the rabbi who we're going to refer to as the Rishon, the earlier generation, and listen to what they used to study in his generation compared to what we now study and learn in Torah. In the years, the lifetime of Rav Yehuda, the previous generation, all the learning, all the studying that they did was Benizikin. Explains Rashi, Nizikin is a reference to Bava Kama Bava Mitzyah Bava Batra. It's a beautiful Limud. Many people will spend their whole lives on that, but that's all they were in the Academy of Torah of Rav Yehuda, that generally speaking, that's all they learned. Do you know what we're learning today, Rav Papa? Says to Abaye, it can't be that we're not learning as well or as much. Ve'anan baras, kamatninan, we study shitasidre, all six sidarim of Mishnayot, and in turn, interpretation of them. So we're really covering. Now, of course, you might argue, although the Gemara doesn't suggest this, maybe they were more in-depth than we are. But really, to that extent, they were learning three masechtot. Well, one masechet once upon a time called masechet nezikin. Bava kama, bava metziam, bava batra, of course, were the broken up portions of masechet nezikin. Nezikin means damages, and then the first gate is bava kama, Middle gate is Bava Metziah. Final gate is Bava Batra, but that's why I called it over here, Nizikin. Okay, so it's not because they studied more. It's not because of their Torah knowledge. Furthermore, let me prove to you that don't think, you know, also maybe they focused and they were more experts in Nizikin, but they knew it all. No, when Rav Yehuda used to get up to Two Mishnayot, it calls it Masechet Okatzin, it happens to be in a different Masechet for us, but it's an expression. Okatzin is the last Mishnayot in all of, in all of Shisha Sidre Mishnah. So it's going to go on to suggest the final Mishnayot he used to have difficulty with. He used to say, this is hard stuff. But us, we have no problem with that. You understand the analogy? Was, oh, over there in that yeshiva, they spent so much time on these three lines. For us, we breeze through them. So it's going to give an example of such, and it's very telling. In other words, Rav Papa's exclamation to Abaye over here is, I don't understand. Don't tell me it's because they studied more, we study more. Don't tell me it's because they knew more when they got up to and when they would study, because Rav Yudah, after all, studied it all. But when he got up to an Okatzin, the Mishnayot of Haisha Shekoveshet Yerek Bektera, Vamrela Zetim Shekevashan Betarfehen Tehorim, when he would get up to either one of those halachot, the common denominator of those two is that they're dealing with vegetables which are uh, placed into vinegar and kind of uh, ensconced there, covered by it, and then you're picking it up. And the question is by picking, not pick, either you're picking it up or something tameh is coming in contact with it. It's either just touching the roots or it's just touching the leaves. The question is if the item itself becomes tameh in such a situation or not. Again, not relevant to us. It's only being brought as an example, but the example over here is when Rav Yehuda would get up to that, Amar, he would exclaim, I see over here the difficulties, the Conversations of Rav and Shemuel. It's like you and I saying, whoa, that's like a Kabbalah. It's something I don't understand. That's what he would say when he would get up to that. But says Rav Papata Anan Baras, Kamatninan Be'okatin Telesan Metivta. We have 13 ways of explaining the Mishnayot in Masechet Okatzin. We have this Mahalach, we have Iyun, we have Bikiyut, we have Zod, we have Derash, we have Rem. We have so many ways of interpreting it. So he would get all jammed up. Not that he didn't understand it, but it was difficult for him. It was difficult maybe for his students. 
You can't tell me the reason miracles transpired more easily and more frequently to Rav Yehuda than for us is because of his study of Torah. Vi'ilu, let me prove to you how great the generation of Rav Yehuda in terms of miracles was compared to us. Vi'ilu, Rav Yehuda, ki shalif had when Rav Yehuda would just take off one of his shoes, there's a reference to during times of drought, they would have all the inuyim that they would put into motion. They would fast, and just like we have on Chabav and on Kippur, they would take off their shoes. He would take off one shoe. In other words, he was getting ready, he was getting prepared for the fast and for the inuy of Ta'anit in order to bring forth rain. What do you think would happen? One shoe off, Atemitra. Immediately rain would be on its way. And the rain would start pouring or rain would start coming down. You see that? Miracles in Rav Yehuda's time. Don't tell me because of his Torah. Ve'anan, but us. nafshin. We pain our souls. And we scream out. Litzvah means to cry out. And we cry out. We pray. And we go through all the inuyim. But guess what? And it feels like, however, nobody's paying attention to us. We don't get that rain. We don't feel like we're answered. So what's the difference between us and Rav Yehuda's generation? Don't tell me the Torah study. The response of Abaye Rav Papa, as I mentioned to you earlier from Rashi, the earlier generation used to give up their souls for sanctification of God's name. We, in contrast, says Abaye Rav Papa, do not do so. Can you give me an example of such? It's similar to, and you should know it from Rav Adabar Ahava. Listen to the earlier generations practice what they used to do. And this is very relevant and very similar to what we learned earlier of taking off the clothing. He once saw a non-Jewish woman. She was wearing a karbalta in the marketplace. What's a karbalta? Rashi says, It's a very fancy garment of clothing which he felt was in Sanua. He felt was not appropriate for a Jewish woman to be wearing it. Of course, she's not Jewish. He didn't realize she wasn't Jewish. So Rav Adabar sees this woman in the marketplace wearing inappropriate clothing in his eyes. Savar Adabat Yisrael, he thinks she's Jewish. Kam Karemina, he got up and he ripped it off of her, realizing in the moment, or not even thinking about it, this might put him back a lot of money. If she's not Jewish, if she's not under, so to speak, his guidance, well, what's going to happen? It turned out that she was not part of Am Yisrael, the Jewish people in Bavel. She was from a kutit. She was a little bit separate. Shayemuha, they evaluated that garment at that is a lot of money, 400 zoos. That's double the amount a betula gets in her ketubah, 200 zoos. So he would have to pay a lot of money in that situation. That's, so to speak, the kiddush Hashem. In the, split, uh, in the split moment that he saw that garment, he jumped up and took it off, not even considering what was going to come his way. Ah, that sort of action, that sort of standing up for God's name, that's what we're missing. And of course, that's the closeness of these two sugyot, the last one of Poshtana Filibashuk and this one over here. And then the end of the story, it's, a, it's cute. When he's paying her back and finding out how much money he owes her, says to her, well, by the way, what's your name? She told him, my name is Matun. 
אמר לה, מתון, מתון, ארבעה מאה זוזי שוויה. He said, מתון, מתון, you're worth 400 זוז. She interprets this in one of two ways. Either the word matun sounds like matan. Matan means 200 zoos. So he was making a play on her name. He said it twice. Matun, matun. Your name is like 200. And then if I say it twice, it's 200. You're worth 400 zoos. Or alternatively, matun milashon hamtana. Metinut means to take your time. If only I had taken my time. Your name taught me and teaches me. I should have thought a little bit more. My, my brash and quick action is what costed me 400 zoos. But again, Abaye brings this as a proof, as evidence that the earlier generation would be Moser Nafsham al-Kidush Hashem. The Gemara continues and tells us a few interesting, and maybe even for some, a little troubling and hard to understand, but if understood properly, noteworthy uh, actions of the rabbis. Rav Gidal, Havaragil dahavaka azil v'yativ asha'are de tebila. Rav Gidal, he would often, and, and a common practice of his, is he would sit at the gates of Tevila, where women were immersing themselves. He would instruct the women, uh, immerse yourself like that, Duncan, uh, like that. In other words, he was helping them with hatzitza issues, that nothing coming in, in between their skin and the water, and making certain that they're fully immersed. Amrele Rabbanan, the rabbis turned to him and said, a man uh, overseeing the women immersing? Are you not nervous? Our master of Yetzer Hara? Amar lehu, the response of Rav Gidal, and that's why I say initially it feels a little disturbing. The rabbis were disturbed by this, but his response, and accepting the words of the Hachamim at face value, his response was not an invitation for everyone to do this at all, not a uh, opportunity for someone to say, this is something I'm going to do and I'm there, but he, being honest with himself, and I imagine circumstantially realizing he's the right person to do it, he said, Damyan be'apai, they appear in my to my face, like white ducks. In other words, I'm not uh, turned on sexually or emotionally in any way to these women. I see them as white ducks. I see myself as performing what I need to do in terms of halakha. And as a result, it's appropriate for me. Again, a dangerous story in the Gemara for those who are going to learn lessons, practically speaking, from it. But a significant one if we are and... I'm certain we should, to take his word seriously and to say, here's a person who dedicated himself to halakha to the extent that he rid himself of all those human inclinations to set himself to the mission. Rabbi Yohanan, similarly, Rabbi Yohanan would similarly sit next to the gates of the, uh, of the mikveh, the place where the women were immersing themselves. Now, the Gemara will not tell us that he was looking at them as they immersed. He wasn't giving them advice but rather Amar, his rationale was, and it appears as if he was outside a bit more, when they come up the Benot Yisrael, meaning they leave the mikveh, they finish their immersion, uh, they'll look at me, and by looking at me in that moment, they'll hopefully have children who are as beautiful as me. That's a little bit of a harsh uh, statement in terms of modesty or humility, but I guess he was being honest with himself. Rashi quotes from the Gemara in Masech Bava Mitzian, Daf Pedalit, that Rabbi Yohanan was a very good-looking man. Shufre Rabbi Avu, Me'en Shufre Vechule, quotes the Gemara over there, that he was an Ish Yefeto, Adam Yefeto, he was very good-looking. What's the idea of looking at him as they left? Maharsha appeals to the Pesukim, 
in the Torah with regards to Yaakov, where Yaakov would, as the uh, animals were, um, were reproducing, he would have them look at something in order to affect what their bodies looked like. So, so to speak, as the women were getting ready for their act of reproduction, by looking at him, maybe in some way, hard for me, uh, I imagine most people, to understand the metaphysical inner workings of this, but that would affect the child. Uh, you know, in today's day and age, I would certainly hope that the, uh, the mikveh women are uh, beautiful women so that our children should all see, be beautiful as well. Anyways, as the Gemara, so he, 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 that was his rationale to be Yohanan. The Chachamim turned to him and didn't fear Yetzir Hara over here. And the explanation is because he's not looking at them as they're immersing themselves. But Are you not nervous about Ayin Hara? In other words, the issue is that everyone's looking at you. Everyone's paying attention to you. And the hachamim in many places have a fear of when you call attention to yourself that can inspire negative energy called ayin hara. Isn't that what you should be fearing? The fact that everyone's looking at you and thinking about your beauty and how handsome you are and in turn thinking about their children. I hope that'll be like that. Isn't that a bad omen, something negative for you? Amar lehu, the response of Rabbi Yohanan, either because he knows this based on his tradition or because his assumption is this way, and this is a debate for all of Am Yisrael, he says, I come from the lineage of Yosef. Again, either he actually knows that, and he's saying it only about himself, or he's saying we're all uh, children of, to a certain extent, Yosef. Well, what's what's the nafkamina? Well, is this relevant to me? Well, certainly to you, who's a Kohen, and to you, who's a Levi, and to you, who comes from Shevet Yehuda, or Levi, etc., or, or, uh, or uh, I don't know, Shimon, is it relevant to each of you, or is it only if you come from Menashe and Ephraim? But regardless, what is it about Yosef that we know in terms of Ayin Hara? There wasn't controlling him. Ena means Ayin, Bisha means bad. The Ayin Hara. How so? How do you know that Yosef, Hasadik, didn't have Ayin Hara affecting him? One of three ways. Tichtiv ben Porat Yosef ben Porat Ale Ayin. The pasuk in the Berachav Yaakov to Yosef in Parashat Vayehi refers to him as Ale Ayin, something having to do with a high and eye. Ve'amar bi'avahu al tikre Ale Ayin ela Ole Ayin. Read it as Ole Ayin. You rise above the eye. In other words, that negative energy sometimes provoked and inspired by people looking at you isn't relevant to you, Yosef. Yaakov said, "You're Ole Ayin." Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Hanina, Amar Mehachar, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Hanina agrees that Yosef and his descendants don't have this negative effect from Ayn Hara, but from a different pasuk, the pasuk of Yaakov's blessing, his berachat to Ephraim and Menashe, where he says to them, He says they should be like fish throughout the land. Now, of course, fish don't go on land. So vidgu either means to proliferate, which means to say to multiply, or it means milashon dag, they should be like fish. What, what's fish other than being bountiful? In the same way, fish are below water, and as a result, no eyes negatively peer at it. There's always the separation of water. So to your descendants, Ephraim Menashe should be 
beyond Ayin Hara. Last suggestion for that statement of Rabbi Yohanan that Zar'oshel Yosef don't have a negative effect from Ayin Hara. V'ibayit emath, three lines from the bottom of the Amud. Ayin shelo raseta lazur mimma she'eno shelo. An eye, the eyes of Yosef, who, which did not and would not submit, give in to be getting nourishment from something that wasn't theirs, of course, a reference to Eshet Potiphar. Yosef wouldn't let his eyes take him astray. He didn't have zenut after his eyes. So too, the, the midah connected midah in a positive way is in ayin hara bo. If your eyes don't stray to others inappropriately, then others' eyes won't inappropriately affect you. In short, what did we see in this last segment of the Gemara? We saw two statements. Uh, 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 um, uh, two important statements. The first statement in the Gemara was the question of Abaye. why did the previous generations seem to be um, more effective in terms of their miracle work, in terms of their feeling and uh, perception of God's closeness to them than us? It can't be because of the limud, and he explained how he knew that. It's rather because they're mekadeshem shamayim, even b'makom, even a situation where it, so to speak, endangered them or put them in a bad situation, the mosen nefesh, and we're not. And again, the logic we explained, you extend yourself, and kivyachol hakadosh baruch Hu extends himself to you, that's a miracle. And then the second part of the Gemara that we saw is these two stories of rabbis who were involved with women at the mikveh, either directly looking at them, a certain lesson about that, or as they would leave, the lesson of Rabbi Yohanan and the final lines describing that ayin hara, not affecting the descendants of Yosef, a lesson in terms of, at least in the final line, not looking at others, which in turn, to a certain extent, takes that attention away from you in a negative sense. Baruch Adonai Amen